0: Hello, this is Congressman Jim Clyburn, and I would like to welcome you to my podcast, Clyburn Chronicles. I've always been a lover of history. I see this platform as a way to connect history with the politics of today. This is so important because as Judge Santiano once said, those who cannot remember the past are condemned to repeat it each episode, my guest and I will have a conversation about the lessons of the past, the politics of the present, and how we must learn from those experiences to help shape the future. Thank you for taking time to listen, and welcome to Clyburn Chronicle. Welcome once again to uh, my podcast. This is Congressman Jim Clyburn, and I'm joined today by Dr. Jennifer Cole, who is the National Chair of the National Council of Negro Women. Dr. Cole has been engaged uh, in the struggle for social justice for a long, long time. I've known her uh, since her early days as president of Bennett College and later president of Spelman College, that's kind of the, the distinction to be uh, the president of the two uh, historically uh, black colleges for women, uh, and I have a great deal of admiration and respect for her. I did have an experience with her when she was director of the Smithsonian National Museum of African Art. Uh, because. Uh, When she was in that capacity, um, she had the vision uh, to bring a group uh, up from the low country of South Carolina to show off uh, the Gullah Geechee culture, the baskets that we were so well known for, paintings. Uh, And the evening uh, that she had my constituents up here. Is around the time I was working on trying to figure out how uh, to memorialize that culture. Uh, And therefore, we went from there uh, to establish uh, what is now the Gullah Geechee Cultural Heritage Corridor. Lulo, South Carolina uh, has two national heritage corridors the national, uh, the the South Carolina uh, Heritage Corridor uh, and uh, the Gullah Gitche Heritage Corridor. But that's not why she's here today. She's here today uh, for us to have a conversation about uh, a mutual heroine of ours. Now, I know people like to say heroes and she rose. I don't. Uh, I want to say what it really is. Uh she was a heroine, Mary McLeod Bethune. Mary McLeod Bethune was born and raised in the little uh, community, I call it, because it was outside the town of Maysville, South Carolina, in Sumter County, the county of my birth. Uh, Mary McLeod Bethune it was just an incredible woman. My mother was a beautician. Uh, And she just thought uh, that Mary McLeod Bethune was the wisest woman ever. She made me learn everything that I could about Mary McLeod Bethune. Uh, And if you come into my office uh, today, here on the third floor of the Capitol, uh, the biggest picture, photograph, in my office is that of Mary McLeod Bethune. A lot of people come into the office, they want to know is that your mother or your grandmother? And I just smile and give them a history of this great woman. She was the founder of the National Council of Negro Women. And in organizing black women into uh, this force, she centered a lot of her attention. On something people talk about all the time now, we hear other presidents or candidates running around talking about this is a beauty shop, barbershop uh, kind of uh, brigade, May McLeod organized beauticians way back yonder, and they became a critical part uh, of the National Council of Negro Women. Uh, and there was also the Colored Women and Girls Clubs. Uh, that nobody talks about much anymore, uh, but I'm old enough to remember all of that. Uh, And nobody is better uh, equipped to talk about Mary McLeod Bethune than Dr. Janela Cole. She is carrying on that legacy, and I'm glad to have her here with me today, and she's going to share with us uh, her life experiences as uh, they were, uh, let's just say, influenced by Dr. Mary McLeod Bethune. At the go,
1: Oh, with the deepest respect and sisterly love, Thank you. I want to greet you, my brother Congressman. I know the people of South Carolina, but <laughs> well, let me tell you as a child of Florida, the very state that will soon put in the statutory hall, the incomparable Dr. Mary McCloud Bethune, I am telling you this child of Florida is feeling mighty, mighty privileged just to have this conversation with you. Now, I do want to begin, if I may, by saying that every day when I walk into the national headquarters of the National Council of Negro Women, I remember that not far from that building, Brother Congressman, was a place where our people were put on a block, their bodies examined, and the most despicable process happened. They were bought and sold during that period of enslavement. In that building, not far from there, is the only place between the Capitol and the White House, owned by black people, specifically owned by black women. And so if you are following me and you, this historian, I listened to that (laughs) first podcast. (laughs) I heard you and Lonnie Bunch do your thing about history and her story. If you are following me, every day that I walk into that building, I know that I am in a physical space made possible by Dr. Mary McLeod with him. Because it was her mentee, the legendary Dr. Dorothy Irene Height, who before she went to glory, burned that market. Absolutely. It's an humbling experience, Brother Congressman to walk into a building and to know that I have the blessing and the exceedingly difficult challenge mm-hmm. of leading an organization founded in 1935 by Dr.
0: Mary McCloud. Well, that is just great to hear. Uh, you know, uh, I haven't been born five years after the founding, um, and it was found right around the time my mother uh, was born. My mom was born, uh, if my memory serves, uh, in 1916, of course. Um, But she just thought that Mary McCloud Bethune uh, was just everything that anybody could be. And when I think of what you just brought up, she is soon to have her statue here in Statue Hall. Now, let, us, let me tell our listeners a little bit about that. Um, many of them may not know, but that each state in the Union—all 50 states—are uh, allowed to place two statues in the Capitol building, um, and uh, most of these states from the South uh, worshipped it, Uh, segregationists. They worship people who uh, helped to uh, conceive and perpetuate. Uh, Jim Crow. I hear people talking all the time, I'm not responsible uh, for slavery. I had nothing to do with slavery. But the the son of slavery was Jim Crow. And most of these people benefited uh, from Jim Crow. And they're now uh, having inherited all of those benefits or living them out. Uh, one of those things is the fact that these people celebrated by sending statues up here of uh, the people who uh, gave aid and comfort to all of that. South Carolina's got two statues up here. Uh, John C. Calhoun is one of them. All you got to do is look at the, of the history of John C. Calhoun. And if my memory says the way it happened, the other. Look at his history and you see who and what they are. So they came up there. they up here now. Florida has two. And Florida, several years ago, about two years ago, voted to take that one statue they got up here of a Confederate general. They've got two. One of them. Confederate General. And the interesting thing about that one that they've got up here, the Confederate General one, it wasn't even from Florida. But they sent him up here to represent them. But they decided two years ago that they're going to take that statute out and replace it with the statute of Mary McLeod Bethune. Now, I know I said that Mary McLeod Bethune was born uh, in something kind of her first job it was teaching school. Uh, there, uh, or just two blocks uh, from a building that's the JMC Clyburn uh, uh, Transportation Center, uh, uh, the marker at the little, at uh, the, the church that uh, housed the school that she taught in, uh, is still there. But then she left and went down to Savannah to teach, and came back to South Carolina. Then she left again. And she went to Florida, and there she started the effort that is now Bethune-Cookman College.
1: And indeed, the year was 1904, when this woman, one of 17 children, born of a mama and a daddy, who had been enslaved. This woman, the only one of those 17, who every day, Brother Congressman, walked five miles to get an education. This woman from Maysville, South Carolina, came to Florida and she, had a vision. Resources? Hmm. She had some. She had a dollar and fifty cents.
0: <laughs> Absolutely. But
1: she tells us she had something that could not be counted. It was so enormous. She had faith, she had faith in her people. She believed, as she she once said, that we have to believe in the human soul. And so in 1904, she started a school, (laughs) $1.99.50. It was named the Daytona Normal and Industrial Institute for Negro Girls. (laughs) $1.50, <laughs> $1.50, five girls. And what did Dr. Bethune do? What so many black women have done throughout oh, our my. history and her story. She made a way out of nowhere. Right. She would bake sweet potato pies, <laughs> sell them and raise funds to make this school for girls. And as we know the history in 1923, that school for girls merged with Cookman Institute for Men and thus began one of our historically black colleges, Bethune-Cookman, now Bethune-Cookman University. And so when the state of Florida made that decision to put this great woman in statutory hall, they did the right thing. Florida and Dr. Mary McLeod Bethune are intimately connected. Now, Brother Congressman, I'm going to ask you to indulge me. Sure. To tell my... Personal connection
0: with this great woman. You're such a wise woman because that's my next.
1: Is that where you're
0: going? That's exactly where I'm going. So thank you so much. I picked this up and there it is, right there, for you to now talk about her legacy of teaching and your uh, legacy of educating. And um, it's yours.
1: All right. Well, I'll do my best not to turn into the professor.
0: Because you know, professors will go on and on and on. That's great.
1: But it's, I'm so, I, I'm so filled with, with with joy and privilege to, to have this conversation with you. Brother Congressman, long before We as African Americans were doing a lot of genealogy and tracing ourselves back, if we could, to that horrific period of enslavement. Long before that was popular, I was incredibly privileged to know the maternal side of my ancestry. A 13-year-old girl Named Anta, Magician Jai was captured. A Wolof girl. The Wolof being the largest ethnic group in Senegal. She was shackled, put into those almost indescribably horrible conditions of the Middle Passage, and offloaded in Havana, Cuba where she was bought, even the language. How can we say bought by another person? A British slave master by the name of Zephaniah Kingsley. I'm going to shorten the story, but I had to give you that context to say this. Now, keep up with me, Congressman. I know you're a historian. No. Now, I want you to be an anthropologist. Oh, my goodness. Listen to the kinship. My great-grandfather, who was Abraham Lincoln, Lewis, <laughs> caught you, and you know many black men of that
0: era. Absolutely.
1: Carried the name of Abraham Lincoln. Absolutely my great-grandfather on my maternal side abraham lincoln lewis married the great-granddaughter of anta and zephaniah kingsley my goodness her name was mary samus now why have i told you all of that history and anthropology because My great grandfather, Abraham Lincoln Lewis, had the closest of a friendship with Dr. Mary McLeod Bethune. I can capture for you how close that relationship was when I tell you that when he passed away in 1947, who gave the eulogy at his funeral? Dr. Mary McLeod Bethune. She convinced him to serve on the board of Bethune-Cookman College.
0: Oh, that's great.
1: He convinced her to serve on the board of Edward Waters College. They worked hand in hand yeah. as the Negro yeah. Business Association was being founded. So where does this at one time, little black girl from Florida coming to the picture with Dr. Bethune. My mom, the granddaughter of Abraham Lincoln, Lewis, who founded the first black insurance company in the state of Florida, went on to become Florida's first black millionaire bought in 1935 American Beach, because he said black people needed recreation without humiliation. My mother loved to drive from Jacksonville to Daytona because she had two close girlfriends and Soras. These three Delta women loved to get together. So my sister and I would be put in the back seat of the car and my mom would drive us to Daytona so she could hang out with the librarian at Bethune cookman Martha Burrow, with the teacher or the professor, better put, of Spanish and French, Marion Spate. Brother Congressman, if Dr. Bethune Happened to be on campus when we got to bethune Cookman College. I would actually, with my sister, who you knew, with the beach lady. Absolutely. Absolutely. We would have the indescribable privilege of going into her office. Of being in her presence. Of hearing her words of wisdom of feeling the charge that she would give us about the importance of education, not just for your own advancement, she taught me, but for the advancement of our people. So thank you for letting me tell that story of why I am so passionate about a woman named Dr. Mary McLeod Bethune right. and how I know we've got to continue her legacy, certainly in the National Council of Negro Women, sure, but also at one of our HBCUs, Bethune-Cookman University.
0: Well, thank you so much for sharing all of that with us. I, I think it's so important for us to Really get people to understand how all these things intertwine. Uh, you know, when I think about the Goldiechi Heritage Quarter, I get uh, a lot of credit for it. Yes, I introduced the legislation. I do represent Charleston and all that coast uh, along South Carolina. Uh, but you mentioned your sister, uh, and uh, I've got to just share uh, the fact that when I first wrote that legislation. I had us going uh, from someplace right around Georgia uh, because I needed uh, some uh, bipartisan support. Uh, so I got the congressman uh, from uh, I think it was Gainesville, uh, Georgia, uh, uh, to co-sponsor it with me. So I put his congressional district in it and took it all the way up to Wilmington, North Carolina. Uh, introduced it 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 passed the house, but luckily for me, it did not pass the Senate that time because in between that introduction and the final passage, I got a visit from your sister (laughs) who reamed me uh, and uh, gave me a great history lesson into what Gullah Geechee was all about. And let me just say this because um, I know when people hear these terms, uh, they want to know What's that all about? Well, and I've asked people to ask me, what is the difference between Gullah and Geechee? Well, it ain't no difference. If you're in North Carolina and South Carolina, the culture is called Gullah. If you are in Georgia and Florida, it's called Geechee. Geechee. So that's why we call the corridor the Gullah-Geechee Heritage Corridor. And your sister uh, gave me a good lesson in that. Now, uh, in order to get the legislation passed, when I uh, we went out and did a two year study, we had $200,000 got appropriate to do this study because I wanted to preserve that culture. I just happened to have married a, a gullah woman. <laughs> so uh, uh, it's kind of funny, you know, we hear all these things about this culture. And someone asked me one time, sis. What really got you interested in doing this? I said, Well, uh, when Emily and I were first married, uh, we could be sitting at the breakfast table or something. The phone would ring, I would answer it, and it would be her mother on the phone. And when I gave Emily the phone, she and her moms would lapse into this language. language. (laughs) And I would understand, absolutely. And I wanted to, I said, I had to learn about this culture because I wanted to see whether well, they were talking about me uh, when they were on the phone. But it's kind of uh, interesting. But we got it done uh, because your sister gave me a lesson in geography, gave me a lesson in where the Sea Islands are really located. And so when we reintroduced the bill, we took all of her uh, advice uh, into account and included uh, America Beach uh, and uh, now all the way down to St. Augustine, uh, Florida uh, in the legislation. That's why it's so uh, good and important really uh, to talk to as many people as you possibly can especially when you're doing legislation like that, dealing with cultures. You need to have as many people as you possibly can uh, brought into the discussion. So you're Sister of the Beach later, after that lesson, I was so moved by it, my wife and I decided to drive down and visit with her at the American Beach, and we did. I spent the day down there. She walked me around, uh, things your dad did, uh, purchases he made, gave me a good history lesson uh, in the area. I have never forgotten that, uh, and I really, really uh, appreciate all of that. And, yeah.
1: Let me just say this. When I listened to your first podcast, I was genuinely informed and moved because you and Brother Secretary, I say <laughs> that with such pride, yes, absolutely Brother Secretary of the Smithsonian Institution, Lolly Bunch, Talked about the significance, the importance of understanding our history. Right. You and I are having this conversation in a month. How could we have only one month dedicated to understanding the history and her story of women? How could we have just completed a month? As if that is enough to understand the complex, ongoing history of African American people. But I'm convinced, Congressman, that until our nation, and this nation belongs to me, Absolutely. and I know you know it belongs Absolutely. to me, until this nation of ours, struggles with understanding the history in all of its beauty and its horrors we can't really move forward because as our brother brian stevenson at the equal justice institute reminds us there is an unbroken line from enslavement to lynching to mass incarceration Absolutely. it's understanding that that allows us to say then what is the legacy of that you and i are having a conversation about a great woman who served for presidents who created a historically black, now university, who founded the National Council of Negro Women. Understanding her history and what she did is as relevant today as it was when she founded the Building in 1904, its first formation, or the National Council of Negro Women in 1935. I remember you and Brother Secretary Bunch saying during your first podcast, "Gotta be careful
0: here." Absolutely. If you
1: don't remember history, if you don't know your history, there's the possibility you will repeat some of it So was not so good.
0: Absolutely, I I often quote George Santayana, who. Is credited with having said, if we do not learn the lessons of our history, we are bound to repeat them. There are a lot of iterations of that term, um, most of them attributed to George Santiano, but I believe it very strongly. Uh, and that's why it is so important uh, for us to study this history. Well, I used to teach this stuff. Uh, A high school history teacher. 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 Yeah. And you can imagine uh, high school students talking about that stuff way back yonder. That was boring Uh to them. And so I spent a lot of time getting them to understand. Anything that's happened before can happen again. You mentioned this unbroken line that leads from birth to mass incarceration. There's one thing. And Mary McLeod Bethune understood it very well. That can break that line. Yes. And that is educating our people. And that's what Bethune-Cookman is all about. That's what HBCUs are all about. you got to give me a little opportunity to get on my soapbox here. Uh, I just spoke at the Thurgood Marshall Group uh, meeting here on the Hill last night. And I uh, told them the story of Ron McNair, that I think I may have told uh, in the first po- podcast, but just uh, it, it, it talks so much. We are talking about the Gullah Geechee Heritage Corridor. Well, uh, think about those sea islands after slavery. There were no bridges to those islands. And so these cultures, the Gullah Geechee culture, just blossomed up, grew up. Uh, the songs, uh, the uh, folkways and mores, Uh, that they had uh, on these islands. Uh, And uh, young people, I I can remember, Uh, I have a good friend, uh, Dr. Milton Kempson. I was with his son at the Democratic debate uh, last month. Uh, Dr. Kempson had to leave the county he was born in to go to a neighboring county to go to high school because no high schools were available to him in Calhoun County where he, he grew up. My father grew up in Kershaw County. He had to leave that county uh, to get a high school. In fact, he never got a high school education. He educated himself uh, to the extent that he took a college exam and passed it, college interest exam, uh, and uh, was allowed into college but was not allowed to graduate from college because state law says he had to have a high school diploma. And they told him, until you produce that diploma, that's true, if you go up to my office right now, you see his diploma on my wall, which was awarded to him 20 years after he died. That is the kind of history here. So HBCUs, that's what they are, breaking that line equipping young people to break that line. Mm -hmm. Young people who come off those sea islands and get to a college campus when they have been intentionally undereducated, miseducated, if you please, to use the title of the book, The Miseducation of the Negro. If you really look at What HBCUs do, they take those rough, uh, I call it diamonds in the rough, and bring them onto a college campus, meet them where they are, is what turned people like my good friend, Dr. David Dowdy, uh, a renowned cardiologist now retired, uh, from the little town uh, of, uh, uh, not even a town, Hopkins, South Carolina, graduated of Weber High School. He told me when he got up to North Carolina a he had to take remedial everything. But he did because they knew what he was, a diamond in the rough. They polished him.
1: his mm-hmm. language actually, Brother Congressman, that Dr. Bethune used diamonds in the rough. And while we remember that she founded Bethune-Cookman now University, that she founded the National Council of Negro Women, she was a co-founder of UNCF, of the United Negro College Fund. She believed in education like the devil believes in sin. (laughs) And you and I know that's a lot of (laughs) beliefs.
0: Absolutely.
1: She was so devoted to this process that she gave her life really to education and when i think now about our hbcus many of which of course are struggling sure. we need to remember the days when we couldn't go to the predominantly white institutions we couldn't go there and by the grace of god the work of black folk the support and often monetary help of some righteous white folk, these historically black colleges and universities began. And when I think about what makes them so important, of course I acknowledge that in this day, in 2020, they can provide a quality education. But what is so important is that education is provided in an atmosphere that treasures who these students are.
0: Absolutely. I mentioned Dr. David Dowdy. He's now retired, A very popular cardiologist up there in Charlotte, North Carolina. And I think he got his medical degree from the University of Pennsylvania. Uh, here's a guy who would have never made it according to his own admission if he had not gone to an HBCU. Ron McNair, uh, who piloted the Challenger, lost his life in the Challenger, told me that when he got to uh, AT, it's where it's not MIT that made him. It was those professors at AT. Oh, David Dowdy told me one time, he said, man, when I got up to a from Lolo Weber High School, I had to take remedial everything. Everything. Yeah, because it was miseducated, undereducated, if you please. And that's why we fight so hard for HBCUs. And I want our listeners to understand that anytime you've got an institution that can devote itself uh, to polishing these diamonds in mm-hmm. the rub, You ought to preserve them. And that's what we did with the Futures Act. Oh, yes. That we just passed. Oh, yes. That's what we did. And for the first time, and i got to uh, admit this, a lot of people may get nervous about it. Uh, I'm a Democrat, but I needed the Republicans to put that bill into the permanent section. For the first time, we've been funding HBCUs for a long time, but this time, This is 200, I think it's 255 million dollars for HBCUs, but this time we put it, thanks to the Republicans in the Senate, we put it into the permanent section of the law.
1: And this is what bipartisan righteousness can do. Right. I just know that if Our HBCUs did not exist. Congressman, we'd have to invent them. Only 3% of all HBCUs. Let me try that again. HBCUs constitute only 3% of our educational institutions. All right? But they produce 20% of African Americans who graduate. Right. Three-quarters of all black folk who have A PhD went to a historically black college or university. We are charged by the spirit of Mary McLeod by the Morehouse graduate, Dr. Martin Luther King Jr. to do what we can to strengthen these institutions. And for countless people around my nation and my world, I thank you and all in this bipartisan collaboration who have passed this funding permanent funding in the Senate for our HBCUs, And it went further because Congressman, when I was at Spelman Admin, I can't tell you how many times I shook my head over what I saw parents going through as they did their best to get student loans. It is the most complicated process. Let me tell you, I have a PhD. I couldn't get through it with ease. And so with bipartisan effort, you've not only in the Senate passed for permanent funding of our HBCUs, you are making this process of getting a student loan simplified. Right thank
0: you thank you thank you and thank you so much for bringing that up because that is very very important simplifying that was this FAVSA uh application uh that these students have to go through and let me just say uh that um we should not close uh this podcast without reminding people of something i used to keep this hanging on my wall also um It's around somewhere. You know, when you go from the uh, majority in the minority back in the majority, uh, some boxes never get reopened. Uh, And so uh, one of these things I used to keep on my wall, and I'll find it one day and put it back, and that is the top lines of Mary McLeod Bethune's last will will and and testament. And I just want to read a couple of them. Please do. Mary Cloud Muthun wrote, I leave you love. I leave you hope. I leave you the challenge of developing confidence in one another, not just in self, but in one another. I leave you a thirst for education. I leave you respect for the uses of power. That should apply to every member of Congress. Then she says, I leave you faith. The substance of things hoped for, the evidence of things unseen. I I just added that little scripture from Hebrew uh, to her uh, faith, uh, top line. I leave you racial dignity. I leave you a desire to live harmoniously with your fellow men. And if she were writing that today, and women, women. I leave you finally a responsibility to our young people. So, so important. Anytime people ask me things like, what made you create the Clyburn Fellows to give now over 200 young people an introduction to politics? They spent a whole year learning this business inside and out. And I fund that. Um, and I tell them, that's what Mary McLeod Bethune <laughs> asked me to be. She bequeathed that to me. And I'm going to pass it on. I just want to say to you, how much I appreciate you. As you know, I really do every time you ever called me. In fact, the last time I uh, went out to meet all those people from South Carolina, it was so cold and rainy that night. Uh, I I still remember it, but thank you for just being you. Thank you for all that you have done and still doing. Thank you for helping to carry on the legacy of Mayor McLeod Bethune, and I'm gonna give you well, before I give you the last one, well, let me tell you, uh, at our next podcast, we're going to be talking about the 2020 census, and getting, uh, hopefully, people to understand what that census is all about, what the census uh, really means, and why you ought to uh, fill out that questionnaire when you get it. Mm-hmm. So having said that, let me give Dr. Uh, Jonathan Cole, uh, the former president of Bennett and Swellman Colleges, and the current uh let's just say holder possessor of the legacy of Mary mcleod bethune at the national council of negro women had the last word
1: but well, congressman thank you thank you not from the top not from the middle but from the bottom of my heart thank you. and my last words really will be a bit of a segue into your third podcast because this organization founded by Dr. Mary McAlbert, the National Council of Negro Women, that has a membership of close to three million women of African descent, does focus on education. It does focus on health and eliminating health disparities. It does focus on financial literacy and economic independence. It focuses on civic engagement. But Congressman, at this moment in our history and our story, the National Council of Negro Women will do what we know Dr. Bethune would have us to do. And that is to put our energy into two processes, making sure our people are counted in the census. Because if we're not counted, so much of what we need and deserve and that is rightfully ours will not come to us. And secondly, do I need to say how important it is for our people to vote. And we in the National Council of Negro Women know that of all of the demographics, black women are perhaps the folk who vote the most consistently. And so in the spirit of Dr. Mary McLeod Bethune, we've been charged to be counted and to
0: make sure that we vote. That's the last word. Thank you for listening to this episode of Climbering Chronicles. If you enjoyed this episode, please let us know by leaving a comment. And don't forget to subscribe to my show wherever you listen to podcasts so you never miss an episode. Until next time, I'm Congressman Jim Clyburn.